You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Great singing this morning. If you will, take your Bibles and ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 today, as you're turning there, isn't that an amazing thought? He knows our name um, and uh, just uh, really brings God into the individual context of our relationship with him. We're not just robots that he mass produces or he kind of deals with us in an abstract or mob kind of way. He deals with us personally and individually. And, uh, and so I hope that you sense that today in uh, even our study and uh, what we're about to uh, jump into this morning in our study. He knows your name and he knows your ways. Every moment, every move, every thought, and uh, appreciate uh, the worship team and uh, reminding us of those truths, not just that are emotional or sentimental values or thoughts, but are steeped in God's word. And I hope that uh, you're encouraged by that today. Genesis chapter 1, let's look at verse 27, and we'll also look at verse 31. As we wind down our burning question series, this will be the last in our current uh, installment. We may in a few years revisit some of these subjects or some additional ones we didn't have time to get to. Uh, Next Sunday we'll be starting uh, back in the Gospel of John, and so I invite you back for that in the morning as we dig into being even closer to Jesus as a follower of His. Excited to uh, resume that. Uh, next week in the second half of the Gospel of John. Genesis chapter 1, let's look, if you will, at verse number uh, 27. Uh, before we do that, guys, if you can pull up this slide, just wanted to say thank you for last week was our anniversary weekend, and we had, we've only been at it for a few weeks, but you see our current amount, so we're working toward the end of the year raising $200,000, which will go toward the renovation of this space, as well as our offices and We're kind of still working through some of the planning, but at least working to raise the funds for that. And so thank you for those who gave. Encourage you to keep giving as we work through the year. But that allows us, in fact, this week, Lord willing, we'll be ordering all of our ceiling. So new grid, new tile, new LED lighting that'll be a lot more efficient. And uh, some of this, there's some dark spots up here on the stage. You may have noticed that if you're watching the live stream uh, on Saturday night with the Clarks last weekend. So that'll make us uh, much more... um, efficient, effective in here, and then possibly helps us get the walls also done, and uh, then we'll have the project of the carpet, and so we're just kind of willing away at it. So keep giving, and appreciate so many of you that gave very intentionally and sacrificially, maybe just a few bucks a week. That's a great way to just kind of help us all. If we all do that every week or two, helps us reach the end of the year uh, in reaching that goal. Genesis 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. And then, then notice the last phrase, male and female, created he them. So he's going to get to how that all unpacked in chapter 2, but he at least alludes to gender in verse 27. Then notice verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so this morning I want to look at, lastly, in our study on burning questions, what about gender? What about gender? And we've saved, I don't know if the best for last, but uh, the most challenging and a delicate subject. Let's pray for the Lord's help tonight or this morning. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be here today. Thank you for what you're doing in our church and each respective family and home. 
represented here. Thank you for even the, the low points of this past week that reminded us of your, our need of you and your sufficient grace. Fathers, we now enter this subject today, and Lord, it's a, it's a loaded subject to say the least. I pray that you would help not only our position to be biblical, but our disposition to be spiritual and to be guided by your spirit. I pray the tone would be right and that, Lord, you would use this truth to push back against the misinformation and often, Lord, the misguided, even sincere people who have wandered from your word in this area. I pray for those in the room representing others they care for and love, that, Lord, they're navigating these very issues in their homes or in their extended families or maybe someone else they care for deeply. I pray that we would Allow your word to inform us, and not only to inform us, but to transform maybe our attitude or our outlook to make sure that we have the heart of Christ as we relate to each and every individual that you have sovereignly put into our lives. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I am regularly reminded of the fact that men and women are different, and my wife is a regular reminder of that, where I am not as sensitive and as gracious as I need to be, and she helps me with that regularly, sometimes in a less than sensitive or gracious way, <laughs> and I, I need that as a guy, and so I appreciate her being willing to do that. The other night, or the other, uh, I think it was during the day, I was, my job in our house as it relate, because my wife works full-time, is I do the laundry, as in I put it in and run it through the machines, and then usually the boys will fold and put it away. So we kind of have that dynamic, and unless it's hanging clothes, I'm responsible to hang uh, whatever needs put on a hanger. So the other day, I was trying to hang up some of her, they were like button-up blouses or shirts or something, and I could not for the life of me get that dumb shirt, not dumb wife, but dumb shirt, hang to hang to get it to close up around the top of the, the shirt on the hanger. And I realized, I think I knew this, but you know that the buttons for ladies' shirts and blouses is opposite of guys. Um, and so that at least eased my mind. You know, what's wrong with me? My ham-fisted thumb, I just couldn't get that button through the eyelet. And I, I kind of, I don't know if you, if you know this or not, first, did you know that, that ladies, your buttons are on the opposite side of your clothing, but why? Um, and probably you ladies know this, I didn't know this, but back in the day, um, most ladies had several layers of different things, petticoats and uh, you know, we could go through things. I have no idea what they are, but hoop skirts and bustles and the list goes on of things where ladies had to wear so many layers that they had to have someone help them get dressed. Usually a servant, if they were highbrow, or they would just kind of help each other out to get ready for the day. Um, and so the idea was if someone's helping you get dressed, then the button needs to be on the other side of the, the apparel, which I find fascinating, just the, the, the backstory of that, why we still do that. Can I just tell you today that gender and its distinctives are not the result of just some antiquated origin that's a cultural or a traditional thing? And I just want to start with that today, and then we'll talk about where actually it does originate. But gender is not an artificial contrivance of culture, of maybe even the church or uh, traditionalists, or whatever the case may be. It has its roots, as we just read, in something much deeper and more lasting. Now, I want to say this as we begin today, because of all the subjects we've talked about, this one probably um, evokes in us a lot of emotional response in a whole varied uh, assortment of ways. First of all, there may be something inside of us 
that this resonates because of certain weaknesses or tendencies or even desires that we have secretly in our hearts or things we've had to battle through the years. And I, I assure you, this room is not the exception of those folks being in the room. And then secondly, many of you in the room have someone you care for deeply who is grappling with this and living with this and navigating this. And so we must be very careful to address it in a way that pleases um, the Lord. Now, I want to give you quickly a study that prompts why we're studying on this today uh, that is really the greater concern than just um, how it's affecting us in a general sense. study just released recently said this, one in five Gen Z, so that would be those of the generation born between 96 and 2005, one in five of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ+. Plus. One in five. That number just overwhelmed me. Uh, if you go back a generation uh, to millennials, 81 to 1995, one in 10 identified as a part of that community, um, which is quadruple the number of Gen X, which would be me, 1965 to 1980, uh, Americans, one in about 20. And here's my question. It went from one in 20, just in my generation, to now Gen Z is one in five. What's it going to be in alpha, which is the next generation, 2006 and forward? At some point, we have to define our terms and what is true and what is right and what is not. And so we have to identify it. I'm not saying that it's your fault or my fault directly, maybe. Maybe we are trying to hold the line where God has given us influence. But I'm telling you, one in five Gen Z identifies this. And so we've got to get our tone. We've got to get our facts in order. We've got to get our spirit right uh, to be able to be a part of loving on these folks and giving them graciously but firmly God's truth. So the question today is this. In a day of gender fluidity, how do we focus upon knowing our audience that's key today, and then responding to them with the right approach. Let's talk about two audiences. Our outline is in the bulletin. We got the office machine ticking again this week, so you got a bulletin again. Many of you were disoriented last Sunday. He kept saying, if you're taking notes, and you're like, I don't have anything to take notes on like I normally do. Sorry about that. But let's talk about two audiences that we have to address and answer this question to as it relates to gender. Number one, let's spend a few minutes, first of all, talking about finding answers with consideration, this would be the first audience, a dear group of people, those who are confused about gender. Those who are confused about gender. Now, I'm going to show you a picture in a second that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek picture, and I would encourage you not to laugh. I don't mean this in a humorous way at all, but this is often the vibe we give off to those who are confused about gender. So I'm not being funny when I say this. Here's the picture, and then somebody kind of tongue-in-cheek posted this online. Motorcyclist who identifies as a cyclist, sets a cycling world record. Um, you understand what they're saying there. Kind of, you know, we have men who are swimming in ladies' competitions in college, and the list goes on, and kind of tongue-in-cheek. And in one sense, that's, I guess, humorous. But can I encourage you, for the person who's confused about their identity, this is not a funny matter. This is not a humorous uh, part of their life. They're dealing with certain feelings and desires and being convoluted about um, their gender, their sexuality, uh, so we have to be very careful to be considerate of them. Um, now, I will give you, you can laugh at this if you feel led to. Have you ever been confused about something and you can't figure out what's going on? Uh, this, this is just an example. Landon, who does a phenomenal job cleaning out his OCD dad's car, I have him usually do it. He wipes it down, he vacuums it, and he's thorough. 
and a week or two ago, I think it was the Sunday we were gone, two weeks ago, that weekend, cleaned it out, looked great, I got it in to pull it back into the garage, and I don't know if we ever have talked about this, so I got in, put it in gear, and it immediately like just ret, like the RPMs just went through the ceiling. I hadn't done anything. I just sat down and kind of, I had my foot on the brake, put it in gear, and it just started revving. And then I tried to get neutral and then back. And I thought I was going through the back wall of our garage. Like it was just, you know, really loud and fast. And, it, and I wish I had the video footage of my face as I'm trying to figure out what in the world is wrong with my car. And here, I have like those hard plastic floor mats. He, when he slid it back in, he put it on top of the accelerator. So I would like stomp, and that would make it just rev faster, you know? The, the look or the feeling of confusion. You know that our world, it, there, it, it, the changes and, and everything being open for debate and discussion causes many in our world, especially our dear young people, to be confused about even these core things like their identity and their gender. And so we have to be considerate of them, and we have to speak uh, to them with uh, what God gives us through his work. All right, so let's talk about two areas of confusion that I think contribute to this challenge, not just to the abstract individual, but maybe people we're related to, people we know and love, uh, and we need to be more considerate of them uh, with these couple of factors in mind. Number one, they're confused about their identity. So let's talk first about, of all about their relationship with themselves. We'll talk about their relationship with others in just a moment, because obviously if we get gender wrong, it's going to impact our relationship with others around us. But let's talk first about about confusion as it relates to self-identity. I would give you two things under that. (laughs) Excuse me, I think these are there on your outline. Appreciate confusion caused by human relativism on identity. Appreciate confusion caused by human relativism uh, as it relates to identity. And so we need to appreciate the confusion that has come uh, in our day. There's a term, you may want to write this down, it's kind of a big word, but I think it's an important word, gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria, D-Y, D-Y-S, phoria, P-H-O-R-I-A. Gender dysphoria. This is defined as the distress a person feels when they do not believe their gender identity matches their biological sex or gender. So they see what they are physically, but they feel and view themselves as something different than what their body uh, would reveal to them. And so gender dysphoria is uh, the blight of our day. According to Tumblr, a a very popular uh, website, they have listed, as of last time I checked, 112 genders. And I give you just a few of them. Again, this is not humorous. This is concerning. This is greatly disconcerting that there are folks who identify with these labels. Uh, The first one, I just give you a few of them by way of example of the 112. Uh, App consunder, a gender, this means a gender where you know what it isn't, but not what it is. It's as if the gender is hiding from you. Can you imagine living with that? You, You can't even... Uh, discover it. You're, you have no hope of figuring out uh, what your gender actually is. Heliogender, a gender that is warm and burning. Paragender, identifying with a gender but not as a gender. I don't even know necessarily what that means, but that, that's the, the confusion. You can hear it uh, even in the definitions. And this one I found especially striking and, and just sad. Verengender, uh, a gender that seems to shift and change the moment that it's identified. 
It, so not only are we changing gender and making it fluid, but it's even fluid once you find out what it is. And, and the, the confusion that that creates in the hearts of uh, those that are dealing with this problem. And so gender dysphoria uh, is a tremendous problem. The relativism of our day is seeping into this sacred area of even our gender. Now, what's the cause? Can I give you a summary of the cause? And they may not realize this is the reason, but I would submit to you this is the problem. You may want to jot this down. The issue is not with the body. The issue is with identity. The issue is not with the body, and that's often what happens through um, gender change surgeries, the mutilation of the body, the changing of the body through hormone uh, therapy, etc., the focus is always on the physical. Can I tell you that like all the other issues we've talked about, the problem ultimately is not physical in nature. It's a factor uh, in some uh, cases, but the problem ultimately is not the body, it is the sense of identity. And what is it that has skewed our sense of identity? It is sin, right? Not necessarily the sin of the individual, but the sin that has ruined everything and tainted and distorted everything in our world and all of the brokenness and all of the pain and all of the struggle as it relates to gender as well as other things is the result of living in a world that's broken and fallen. So we have to be theological as much as we are biological in assessing and uh, responding to gender struggles. I was reading an article the other day. I thought this was so insightful. Listen to this. An author said this, if my online identity can be different from my embodied identity, so who I am online versus who I am if you saw me in person, if my online identity can be different from my embodied identity, it is an unquestioned assumption by Gen Z. It's no big deal to then leap and assume my gender identity can be different than my embodied identity. So it's all of the virtual, it's the, it's the creating of a facade and of a uh, that, that, that separation or differentiation that feeds the confusion in our day of human relativism. All right, number two, jot this down. Eliminate, number two, confusion through God's principles on identity. So appreciate the confusion caused by human relativism. Number two, eliminate it through God's principles on identity. Another well-known website that speaks to and deals with the labels of sexuality and gender they have as kind of the mantra with their website. Here's their purpose, to help you make sense of the alphabet soup and be as respectful and accurate as possible when using identifying language. And can I just tell you today, there's nobody that has the alphabet right that's got the words right on gender like this book. Websites change and morph and shift, and man's opinion of things is always changing. We'll talk about that in just a moment further. We have to come back to the bedrock of God's Word that gives us God's heart and love, but also gives us unchanging, irrevocable uh, truth that guides us when we are dealing with confusion. All right, go back to our text now to verse 27. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So let's, let me give you two principles. I hope you'll jot these down that help us to eliminate confusion, first in our own hearts and heads as well as in bodies, as well as those that we care for deeply, that we're trying to help them without just writing them off or discouraging them unnecessarily so. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Then notice this last phrase, male and female 
created he them. Number one, jot this down. God created only two distinct genders. I cannot tell you how much that clears the air. I know that's the most simple, obvious statement if we know our Bibles. But God, when he started this whole thing called the human race, he started with only two distinct genders. Um, and so that gives us at least some direction and some, a point of reference as we navigate all these other alternatives, so-called, that often convolute uh, the discussion. Can I give you quickly just a brief, and this is a loaded, some of you biology teachers and instructors could give us much more detail, but here will be a summary of how God, through our bodies and how our, uh, from conception, he's embedded in us, male and female. So the complement of human chromosomes, this is the normal. Are there, some, are there some exceptions? Yes, but there are 23 pairs of chromosomes in our body. 22 pairs of the autosomes, that is the non-sex or gender indicating chromosomes, and then one pair of what are called sex chromosomes. Females have two X chromosomes, and a male has one X and one Y chromosome. The sex-determining region on the Y chromosome for the male, known as the SRY, inhibits female anatomical growth and induces the formation of male anatomy, listen, at six to eight weeks after fertilization. So it, from the moment of conception, genetically, that's already in our being. And then literally six weeks into conception, already that process of how those, those, that genetic code is impacting us physiologically. And so within six to eight weeks after fertilization, those things become clearer. So it, it, just like we talked about abortion to begin with, and we have to understand those who are more um, vulnerable to considering abortion uh, through poverty or maybe uh, being mistreated or abused, we also have to acknowledge that in the womb, very early on, not only is it human, it also is male or it is female. And so God here has been clear. He has created us with only two distinct genders. Now, I want you just to see this quickly. Why did God do that? Look back at verse 27. He created man in his own image. You want to know why God made us only two distinct genders? Because that's how he gets glory. It's a matter of worship. We're made in his image. We're reflecting him. We're pointing others to him as a male, as a female. So it's more than pleasure or preference. It's about the praise of God. The glory of God is at stake here. The one who has made us. Uh, and so he, he made us in his image. And then secondly, notice the end of the verse he says... Male and female created he them. Also, it was for our good. So it's for his glory. Also, it's for our good. Remember, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he created a helpmeet. He created someone who complimented him. And so together, those two were good for one another. And we receive good from God through others when we keep and hold the ground as it relates to two distinct genders. Holding to two distinct genders is not what will hinder us or ruin us or um, keep us from some secret joy or pleasure. It actually protects that. Um, and so we, when we love on others by reminding them of this truth, that is our only motivation. All right, then look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, notice this, and behold, it was very good. Number two, jot this down. Gender abnormalities are simply the result of the fall. So gender abnormalities, because we're going to talk about this for just a moment. What about the exception in the chromosome structure? Or what about certain tendencies that some folks have? Gender abnormalities are the result of the fall. 
When God said it was very good, what was he saying was very good? All of creation, right? Including male and female. It was good. And so what we're dealing with, as we are in other areas, the world's not perfect, is it? We have the fall and the corruption and the contamination of that. And so we have to acknowledge that the abnormalities or the struggles that some of our dear family members or neighbors or community members or those watching online, that those abnormalities and those desires are not, they're not what God originally intended. Uh, they're a part of the curse and the fall, and we have to navigate that with God's grace and God's truth. And so though we need to acknowledge the abnormalities that exist, um, we must not make that the normative or the, the thing that now we have to accept it just because we see it at certain times uh, in our world. And what's happening is it's becoming more normal, isn't it? It's becoming normalized. And that's why, again, we've seen from my generation, 1 in 20, now to Gen Z, it's 1 in 5. It's becoming normalized. Uh, there are rare exceptions that they need extra help and encouragement. I, I fully acknowledge that today, but maybe not normalize what is the exception. Desires for things God has forbidden are a reflection of how sin has distorted me, not how God made me. And so let's not say God made me this way, or God has given me excuse in this area, or it honestly is the result of the fall and of sin. Now, I want you just to think about this for a moment this morning. So much of God's will for our lives is connected to whether we're male or female. Like, there are things in my life that is God's will for me that is not God's will for you ladies, and vice versa. Can you imagine not having that reference point clearly in your head today? The confusion that goes with that, those who are struggling with transgenderism or whatever the case may be as they struggle through these issues... So may we be grateful today if we have a sense of who God has made us and be more considerate of those uh, who deal with it. Um, today's October the 2nd, right? We're in October now. Fall is upon us. Cool mornings, crisp mornings. I love it. Don't like where it ends, but I enjoy the fall. Um, a week from now, October the 11th, next week, is what is called National Coming Out Day, um, where, and they're, they're there are weeks and other months and things connected, but October the 11th is National Coming Out Day where folks will let everyone know that they are not who they thought they were as it relates to gender. Can I tell you, it's about time that we come out as fully the man God has called us to be, to be the woman, to be the young lady, the young man that God's called us to be. One of the best ways to push back against this is to own who we are. And to do that with graciousness and with, with firmness where needed, but making sure that we are leaning into what God has made us to be as it relates to gender. Do you appreciate the clarity that God has given you about your identity just by revealing to you your gender? And do you have compassion on those who lack that clarity? And with this thought, we'll move to the second point here as it relates to um, those that are confused. I love this. Identity is not, one author said this, identity is not determined by sexuality. Identity is determined by a savior. That's where we find our identity. And God can save any of us from any of these things we're talking about today or some other uh, weakness or preference that we have. Our identity is found in Christ. So here's the answer. The answer is not lambasting those who are grappling with this in their life where they're just confused. It's give them Jesus. Give them the Savior. Give them, yes, the truth, but give them the love uh, that comes along with it. 
All right, number two. So we're talking about finding answers with consideration for those confused. So some are confused about their identity. Number two, jot this down, confused about love. So we talked about their relationship with themselves. Now let's talk about where gender, if it gets off, it affects our relationship with other people. Um, So the rub is not just that when we're off with gender that we don't know who we are, but also we don't know how to relate to those around us as we should, uh, loving God, loving our neighbor as uh, we are instructed. Um, somebody was tongue-in-cheek joking about how things have changed since their generation. I would, this would resonate with me. They said, 13-year-olds today are having relationship stress. When I was that age, I closed the fridge door slowly to see how soon till the light went off inside. Like, that was me at 13. It was a relationship with my refrigerator. That's what I was wrestling with. The things that, that our kids now deal with Uh, I think some of us in the room, especially those that are gray-haired or at least moving that direction as I am, I think we underappreciate how confusing it is to relate to the world around our kids and teenagers and and their peers. Um, It's easy for us to sit back or to, to live in a different generation and critique them when we would have the same struggles they're having if we were in high school this morning. If we had to deal with what they're dealing with in the college classroom or dorm or whatever the case may be. And so we have to be willing to appreciate where there's confusion about love. Um, one economist I was listening to was talking about that inflation is impacting us in a lot of different ways. And he was talking about especially young adults and college students. And he said they have coined a new term called inflation ships where they're hooking up or they're living together simply out of an economic reason. They can't survive. Um, And so some relationships really are more just a monetary motivated, but they're inflationships. And our young people are grappling with all kinds of pressures and how that dictates how they should relate to those uh, that are around them and so confused about love. Uh, Let's go to 1 John for a moment. and, And I'll give you in just a second a truth from God that I think helps us. But let's talk about how gender, when it gets off, often leads to our relationships being off, first with God and then with those around us. First John chapter 4. So one of the things that happens as you're turning there to First John is that often love is used to excuse misusing or misrepresenting gender. Well, if they love each other, it doesn't matter. The gender doesn't matter. They should be able to be together. Or the opposite, the negative, they don't love each other anymore, so just pull the plug on the marriage. Love, that word is often used to justify all kinds of things that are outside of God's clearly revealed word as it relates to human uh, relationships. And so we have to be willing to identify that and be considerate of those that are dealing with it. Number one, jot this down. Appreciate confusion caused by human reduction on love. Human reduction. Reducing love down to basically a chemical response. Um, to the world, to the humanist, those that have a, a materialistic view of the world, things like love and hate, sadness, honor, all these different emotions we feel, they're just, they're just a, 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 um, a chemical reaction in the brain. Um, and they would believe the survival of the fittest that basically triggers us to survive these different emotions that we feel. It's just a chemical reaction that leads to our survival. So love, hate, whatever these terms we use, it's been dumbed down to uh, something less than what God intended. All right, look here in 1 John, chapter number 4, and let's look, if you will, at verse number 7. 
1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. So this is the horizontal relationships we have, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Um, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, before we give you the point, go back to verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they, be, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So the context of 1 John 4 is not just lovey-dovey kind of tone. He's trying to help them have discernment, right? Discernment about what is love and what is not love, who is loving and who is not loving. So number two, jot this down, eliminate confusion through God's enabling on love. So the world tries to reduce it down. We need to allow God to help us rise to the level of love that God can enable us to achieve. Love ultimately is not material because God is not material. If God is love, then love is not just about physical things, right? So it's not just about two bodies or two people or two physical interactions, an interaction between two physical beings. It's something intangible. If God is love and love is God, then it is a spirit. It's something that is immaterial. Um, when's the last time you've seen one rock loving another rock? Okay? It's being somewhat facetious. Things don't love. People do. And so love is a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a relational thing. And so the God who is the spirit from which we all issue forth, he alone has the right, listen to me, to establish the boundaries around what is love and what is not love. What is justified by love and what is never justified by love, quote unquote love. And so we have to allow him uh, to give us uh, this enabling. He defines it. He eliminates the confusion. Um, I was reading just a sequence of Facebook, which is known as a social media platform. I might take issue with that, okay? I think we're more antisocial than ever. Uh, large part, no thanks to social media. But their history, in 2014, Facebook updated its profile service to feature a variety of gender options. So when you open an account, you say who you are, who you're married to, where you lived, and then also gender is a label that you can identify, identify with. Um, in 2014, the list went from just male and female uh, to 50 choices. So they went from 2 to 50, and then just a few years ago, they changed it to just male, female, and here's the third option, custom. And they said that allows you to identify with whatever the human imagination can generate. Um, that, that's where we're moving in our relationship with one another. And so we need something that grounds us in the midst of that ambiguity, and that mist of subjectivity, and it is God's enabling. It is God's truth. Listen to me. So much of God's will for how you and I interact this morning is defined by God. Um, he's clear on what I can do toward you and what I'm never supposed to do toward you. Um, and so God is the one who defines our relationships with each other, uh, whether it's in this area of gender or any other aspect. And listen to me. When we get that wrong, we're going to ruin every relationship we interact with. You get anything wrong where God has been distinctively clear as he has in this area, you're never, I hear him, we have a great relationship. It's a loving relationship. Read the studies of how it ages, both in that relationship and that own person's well-being. To resist God, listen to me, is a losing proposition. Any of us in the room, maybe this isn't our issue, but it's another one. You will lose that battle, right? 
And everybody that knows you will be hurt because of it. And so we love people enough to share with them, this is God's will, this is his revealing, don't resist it, be willing to submit to it. So maybe this just word of question this morning, where are you not doing God's will as the male or female God has made you to other engendered people that God has put in your life at home, at work, at church, and in the world that is around you? Where are you not being the man or the woman that God has made you to be? That's the place to start. It's not talking about all those other people. It's first starting uh, with us. Just a sidebar, maybe a, a sobering thought today. But if we don't get our gender right, it often leads to the next generation struggling more in this same area than we did. And I give you just one example, and I don't have time to give you studies and stats. Have you ever heard the term father wounds? Have you heard of that term? Where a young person is wounded by a father figure or their biological father, adopted father, someone that God has put in their life uh, to serve them and to lead them, and they do wrong by them. But a person who struggles with father wounds listen to me, often has a very skewed view of other men. And many could testify of that in the room this morning. Either makes them more attracted to men or repelled to men. That could include our young men. That could include our young ladies. The same would be true if a lady mistreats those that come from the next generation. So we've got to get this right for the sake of the next generation, right? I would submit to you a lot of those stats we started with today are not really the kid's fault. It's those leading them. I'm not trying to blame you if maybe your child is struggling in this area. I'm just saying they didn't come out of nowhere, these struggles, right? My generation has a role in the Gen Z struggle that I just mentioned. It went from 1 in 20 to 1 in 5, partly because of my generation. Uh, So we need to own that, do right by them with the Lord's help and clarity. All right, number two. So find answers first with consideration for those Uh, who are confused about gender. And I hope that gives you a greater sense of love and appreciation for them. Now let's talk about the more direct issue. So we find not only answers with consideration for those confused about gender, number two, we must be willing to confront those who have weaponized gender. Um, The other day, before we get into this heavy subject, I saw this little note from a wife to her husband. I want to see if you get this, okay? Hey, sweetie, so this is wife to husband. Hey, sweetie, I'm at work. Dinner's on the stove. You only have to light it. The gas is already turned on. Yeah, love you, XX. There's no O's up there, but there's a lot of X's up there, and even a heart at the bottom. Um, And if that note survived, he probably didn't light the stove, okay? You follow the drift? The gas is already on. Can I tell you today that those that are, that are fighting for gender, uh, for gender rights and liberties and changes, not all of them are doing so from a right motive. You do appreciate that, right? They don't care about those people necessarily. They don't care about your child or grandchild. They don't care about mine. They're, they're trying to use it and weaponize it to advance their own cause and purpose. And so though we must be gracious toward the first category and audience that we talked about today, there's another group who is using it for a less than sincere agenda. And we have to be willing with the Lord's help to stand against that in areas that we have influence and responsibility. Um, One author I was reading said this, the LGBTQ plus movement is religious. I thought this was a great way of putting this. It's a religion. The movement appeals to humanity's whims and opinions as authority to supersede what God clearly says in the Bible. It is without doubt a humanistic religion. To be more precise, it is called sexual humanism. I think that's a great way of describing it. 
trying to create a new faith, a new religion that's built around our preferences instead of around the person of God. Now, before we talk about, let's go to Romans 1 as you're turning there. Before we talk about this and how it's being weaponized and how we can lovingly and yet firmly stand against these attacks, um, Romans chapter 1, we'll get to verse 25 in just a moment. My mother, I could pull it up on my phone or probably here on my iPad as well, um, a little text thread that I had with my mom this past week. My Aunt Diana, who has always been a spiritual giant in my view, she loves the Lord. She's the one that sends me the stick of gum every birthday, if you've heard me tell that story since I, was, since I can remember. But she loves the Lord, and she's willing to always speak up for the Lord. This past week, my Aunt Diana and one of the doctors in the community that she lives in found themselves, I think this was on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe it was Tuesday, in the evening meeting with the assembly, the leaders of their church, which is a part of a mainline denomination. And the only two people who are willing to stand against what now their denomination was not just going to love this group of people, but let them join and lead in the church, they were the only two, their, their views were just laugh, basically laughed out of the room. My aunt, listen to me this morning, is probably visiting a new church. If, if we give, that's North Life Baptist Church at some point. You do understand that, right? There has to at some point be a line we're not willing to cross. Always with a tear and a tremor in our voice and a love that we extend. But we have to draw the line somewhere. So when you hear about these attacks, don't think, well, pastor's just, you know, he's looking for a fight. Listen, I hate confrontation. I'd rather never have another fight in my life. Um, but there are things we have to be willing to stand for, where especially this gender thing right now, at least, is being weaponized. All right, let's talk about a couple areas that we need to stand in. Uh, Romans 1, look if you will, verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie? That's not a good place to start. That always leads us in a wrong direction. And worshiped and served the creature. So now it's more about the creaturely appetites and desires more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this caused God, gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men. And that, those words actually mean male with male, not just self-identifying men. Male with male, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. All right, let's talk about a couple of areas quickly where we need to stand. Number one, weaponized rebellion. So this would be those who brashly, their, their gender agenda is directly against God himself. Um, I could give you practical examples, and probably others could here in the room, where the issue really is not about the gender, it's really about the God who assigned that to them. And maybe some issues that are associated with that, where someone hurt them or abused them, and rightfully there are wounds that are there. But the weaponization is rebellion, defiance against God himself. Please note this morning, many who are transgender or gender diverse or non-binary, we could go through a list of all these labels, it's not just that they have dysphoria. The issue is they're rebelling against the God who made them. Um, and so we have to see through the veneer and through the argument to what's behind that that's leading them to stand so resistantly against what God has clearly indicated for them. Not all but there are some that that is their spirit, and so we have to be willing to identify that. Freud, known for his 
less than ideal contributions to psychology, said religion is pent-up sexual desire. One author said, no, actually it's the opposite. Sexual desire is pent-up religiosity, the need to be fulfilled. So often where we get this wrong, it's actually an issue with God. It has nothing to do with other people. It has nothing to do just with our bodily desires or pleasure. It's an issue with God. We're empty and we're trying to fill it in every way except God's way. We talked about marriage is honorable and all, right? You do it the right way, there's fulfillment, there's pleasure, there's satisfaction. There's all those things God promises, but to go out of bounds is bluntly put rebellion. Transgenderism is the newest and most blatant expansion of self-rule and rebellion. Um, And sadly, this is being pushed, as I just referenced with my aunt's church, not just by the blatant godless crowd. It's being pushed in religious circles. It's at least being accepted or tolerated. And very shortly, in many places, it will be uh, advanced. I heard one guy say this. I think this is good. He said, if a, quote, Bible expert attempts to use the Bible to justify homosexuality, pansexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, or gender spectrum, you can be 100% sure that person is not a Bible expert, right? The Bible is clear on that, and we just read it here in Romans chapter 1. And so we have to be willing to disassociate from those who claim to be a Bible expert and yet obviously are not. All right, number two. So weaponized rebellion, we see that referenced here in Romans 1, 25 to 27. Number two, weaponized attack. So this would be not just directed at God, but now directed toward other people. Um, There was a, we drove by, we were in Connecticut, a few of us from our worship team this past week had a good time, and we drove through Pennsylvania, which is the lion's share of the trip. It's about six hours to get from one end to the other. And uh, we went by one of their main penitentiaries that's there. And just beyond that is New Jersey. This story just came out a few weeks ago of a transgender woman who impregnated two inmates was removed from that female prison using that label to advance his own purpose and mission. And so a lot of those, they are using gender to push their own thing. They're not in it to just identify. They're in it to injure and to maim and to destroy anyone and anything that stands between them and their desires. And so we have to be willing to stand against that uh, for those we care for and are responsible for. All right, a couple under that. These would be a few uh, examples of how they're weaponizing gender and attacking us and those we care and love uh, with it. Number one, be ready for their attack on the civil rights front. So one of the main issues or ways that um, the LGBTQ community has been effective as they have made it a civil rights issue, right? Well, we, we, we you know, just like African Americans or whoever has legitimately been mistreated in days gone by, we are trying to emancipate uh, this, uh, these members of our community as well. They have called it the next civil rights battle. All right, let me just give you, this is not in the scripture, but this is just a thought to balance that with. Let's be logical for a moment. The current laws as it regards to marriage do discriminate. So they would say, if we don't allow any two people who love themselves or any person in an animal or whatever in a plant, you know, it gets crazy. Any of that, it, we can't discriminate. Can I give you a few examples of where our laws, thankfully, still discriminate as it relates to marriage? Aren't you glad children are not allowed to marry? I'm not joking when I say that. There's a reason for that. It discriminates against two children getting married. Uh, Uh, A man cannot marry, at least as of yet, two separate women. Uh, No one can marry an animal. Uh, If homosexual marriage is a civil right, where do we draw the line? 
for other sexual behaviors that are found desirable. In the end, as soon as you open Pandora's box, you have to allow for everything. Uh, when we abandon God's word and what it clearly is revealed about marriage or any other issue, it is not a civil rights issue. It is a moral issue. Um, scripture is clear as we just read that it violates God's design for marriage in Romans 1. It's interesting in Leviticus 20 that the civil authorities, I'm not espousing for us to go back to the Mosaic law, but civil authorities were authorized by God to deal with this as sin. So it's not a civil rights issue. It's something much more than that. It is a morality issue, and God alone has the right uh, to set those standards. Um, and then I would just say this, and we'll move on. For those who accuse us of not being respectful of people's civil rights, there are more options than just affirmation of it or hate of the person. There's also love. And love speaks truth. Love speaks what God speaks on a given issue. And so we may, may we be willing to stand against those who accuse us of stripping those or denying others in this area of their, quote, civil rights. All right, look here in Romans 1 again, down at verse 32. And this is one of the scariest aspects, or I guess one of the most concerning areas that is really why your pastor today is emphasizing this. Look here in verse 32. So he lists some other things that, that, that those that deny God's truth that they do, other hideous things, including murder. Um, verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Notice these last two phrases, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Number two, jot this down, be ready for their attack on the next generation front. Their end game is not to convince we old fuddy-duddies who still have remnants of, of a sense of morality maybe on this issue. It is to convince our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids the attack, the long play, the long view is the next generation. The other day I was reading an author who said this, there's no five-year-old in the world that is explicitly gay, lesbian, transgender, or even heterosexual. There's no five-year-old that naturally is that. Small children do not think about sex or sexuality unless they have been groomed to do so by an adult. And, and we're, we're bringing them along, or our culture is trying to convince them and to catechize them to believe um, these things uh, that they're trying to advance. So they're attacking not just us, but more importantly, the next generation. How do you change a world and a culture? You don't start with those of us in the room probably today, most of us, maybe the teenagers. You start with the young people, don't you? You normalize it, then it becomes a part of uh, the options and their, their worldview, uh, and so that's the play. Um, I saw this picture the other day, and this comes from a good source, but I think this captures my view of why I'm standing against this today, and I hope that you will join with me as a church. That's all I'm trying to do right there, is protect the little ones, the next generation that are naive and don't even know the agenda that's being imposed upon them in different settings. Um, man, we, we have got to keep them under the umbrella of God's truth and give them love, but give them truth as God gives us opportunity. All right, can I give you a couple of areas of manifestation? Our time is almost done today. And sorry to be so blunt, but I think we have to be. First of all, drag queen story hours um, is, is a prevalent issue in our culture today. What is a drag queen? It's a man who dresses up crudely in the caricature of a woman. And what they're doing is they're reading stories dressed up and portraying this as a drag queen uh, to young people. They're not going to senior centers. They're not going to nursing homes or assisted care, they're going to where the children are. Um, their website uh, says this, DQSH, 
stands for Drag Queen Story Hour, captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of childhood and gives kids a glamorous, positive, and unabashed queer role models. That's the spirit of that agenda. And here's my concern. You know this. Be honest with yourself. At some point, it just won't be libraries and schools. It'll be in places like this. You give it long enough, it's never satisfied. We have got to hold the line for the sake of the next generation. Second one, quickly, would be anti-bullying campaigns. A lot of um, tolerance in this area is, is pushed under the guise of anti-bullying. We've got to be nice to everybody. That sounds good, right? I'm against bullying. Um, but often, um, standing against uh, these kind of gender fluidity is uh, viewed as bullying. The agenda is always to remove or erase what is called heteronormality. They're trying to remove that as the normal thing, that it's okay for two, a dad and a dad to be married or a mom and a mom to be married and just trying to marginalize these things under the guise of anti-bullying. It's going on in our schools uh, even this past week. And then lastly, sex education. We're familiar with that, but they're using that not just as it relates to heterosexual relationships, but they're presenting gender as merely a social construct and it's just as normal, again, to have two mothers or two fathers. They're trying to remove the stigma or the cultural uh, things that we have accepted. Um, some of you in the room may have an adult son or daughter who's grappling with this issue or has even made the shift, I, I would guess, and may even be aware of some of those. And my heart goes out to you today as you navigate that as a believer of love and truth, how to strike that balance, because you see them again the next gathering and the next interaction, maybe also their significant other, difficult situations to navigate. But I would just give you maybe this little antidote or story of a, a mom and her daughter. Her daughter had now was identifying as a man, and they were having this conversation, and the daughter said to her mom, if you love me, you would use my pronoun. You would, you would refer to me with my preferred pronoun. And the mom Pause for a minute. She said, you're asking me to make a choice between offending God and offending you. And she said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to offend you. And, and I think there has to be a little more of that spirit where we, we love, but we stand. Um, one of the things I have read over and over for those who transition in gender is everything that is, 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 is normalized makes it harder for them to repent and to come back from maybe that sinful lifestyle or that wrong direction. So may we not enable that or even help them create those constructs or those things that there'll be hurdles on the reverse side when God, by his grace, works in their heart. I'll give you just a quick example of this. I was picking up a small piece of furniture I bought from a guy in Ashland. He makes his own furniture, and we were, we were talking, and he was showing me just pictures of previous wood projects that he had done. Very gifted um, furniture maker. He sells them very inexpensively, and so I got in a little sofa table, real narrow thing, and he was sharing me some other bigger projects. And one of the things he showed me was a mom who had asked him to build a bunk bed set for her son, who was probably upper elementary from what I could gather from the story, but her son identifies as a furry. You heard of this? As an animal. And so this mom hired this man to build a full bunk set that looks like a dog cage. Can I just tell you I'm sure that's love in a lot of people's radars, but I'm telling you, that is foolish. That is detrimental to the long-term health of that boy. Um, and so can I, he's a boy. And by the way, um, we will have to own that. We will have to accept our responsibility. Do they have a part? Yes, but may we do our best in the areas God has given us responsibility.
The Bible is very clear on homosexuality and other gender-distorting sins. Just read Genesis chapter 19 when God deals with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a very direct. He sends his grace. He preaches the truth. He warns the city. But at the end of the day, he deals with that sin. And so may we see it through the lens that God gives us today. If If you love God and you love your neighbor, you will stand against the attacks upon gender. There's far too much at stake to be neutralized by our fear or apathy. All right, let's land today in 1 Corinthians 6. Would you go there for a moment? Appreciate your kind attention today. I know all of us, this hits us at different levels. My heart goes out, especially to those of you dealing with it in a very real and, and, and constant way in your family and in your community. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In just a moment, we'll look at verse 9. Um, if I were to ask you today, what is the most viewed picture in all of human history. Um, if I said to you, what's, what's the picture that more human eyes have seen than any other? Portrait, painting, picture, what would you guess that it is? I don't know what comes to your mind, but here is the most viewed picture of all time. The picture to the right, and then the guy who took the picture is on the left. And I'll give you just a quick summary. So this is the default Microsoft XP wallpaper. Does that bring back memories for you? Sorry for all the Mac people were offending. Your pictures are not the most viewed, okay? Um, I have a Mac as well. Um, the iconic default Microsoft XP wallpaper called Bliss. If you would select your wallpaper, this was the Bliss one. It was the stock one installed on the computer when you bought it. Is the most viewed photo of all time. The gentleman to the left there is a photographer named Charles O'Rear, who captured in 1996 in Sonoma County, California, this picture that he was paid only a mere $100,000 for. And it's the most viewed picture of all time. Now, I show you that to say this. God has a picture in mind of how this is all going to end, right? He started with it being very good. We messed it up. We marred it, and we're still dealing with the consequences of that. But aren't you thankful that God's trying to get us back to that point again? And that picture involves, listen to me, again, only two genders. Um, What will we be in a glorified body? I don't know if you've thought about this much. I don't have a lot of verses on it, but I just give you the thought to kind of think about. But I would submit to you, I believe, that we will still possess some gender distinctives in eternity. It says we'll be like angels. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that angels don't have gender. They're often referred to as a he or they appear as a man. Jesus was his glorified body still the Son of God. Um, And so at least we can infer by looking at the text that it's very likely that our glorified body will still possess, I'll know who you are, won't I? You'll know who I am. We'll be known even as we are known. And some of how we're known is somewhat connected to that. Will we relate differently? Yes, there's no marriage and things change and shift. But gender, I believe, is a part of God's long view. It's a part of the picture uh, that he wants to restore uh, someday. Think about what God has had to do, not just to create us, but to restore us. It's cost no one more than God to protect and preserve our identity and to restore our identity someday. And so maybe we'd be willing to get in step with his purpose and his plan. All right, let's end here. First Corinthians 6. And look, if you will, at verse number 9. Uh, before we read that, just this final caveat, it is true some struggle more in this area than others. For some of us, gender has never been an issue. It's been very clear. We've kind of just synced up with the traditional roles associated with masculinity or femininity. And and to us, this is a very bizarre thing to even consider. But there are some, this is their struggle. 
Um, and yet what I love about 1 Corinthians 6 is it gives us hope that that doesn't have to define us. We are not bound to that. We are not blindly to just stumble into that. Look here in verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The word effeminate there in the original has the idea of a boy kept for homosexual relations with a man. Sorry to be so blunt. Basically where someone's been victimized in this area. There's some of us, our gender issues are because someone else wronged us to start this whole thing. And we're still navigating that. So it's not just about the wrong we are maybe doing, but the wrong others have done to us. He goes on to say, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And the word there would be the word we would use for sodomite. And so these are very strong and direct words that Paul uses. Verse 10, he lists some others that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then I love verse 11. Look at it. But such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Don't you love the past tense verbs in that verse? Such were some of you. You were this, you were that, but now you are this. And so may I say to you today, no matter what we struggle with in this sinful body, the answer for all of it, and and for a lot in the world, they would say that that, that this is their identity. For a lot of us as, as believers, we, we can't look past it. This is a worse sin than all others. All sin needs the mercy and grace of God, right? And it can change anyone. It can change the one who's confused. It can even change the one who is rebelling against God in this very area. And so the hope of the gospel today gives us confidence as we speak to this world. I hope you'll leave with this today. The person that's confused, all they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be other things that they need as a part of that. Would you keep sharing his love and truth with that one you care for, that you're trying not to have the wrong spirit toward? May we give the gospel. And for the one even who is defiant of God, the answer is still the same, isn't it? If he can do it with Paul, who was Saul, he can do it with the one you and I know, who is yet to yield to his truth. Here's the question, and we'll pray. Will you heed to the truths of God's word as they relate to gender with greater consideration for the confused, and greater confrontation for those who weaponize it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.